after last Sunday, the room was so full, uh, we actually put more chairs out today. I went home and I had a hard time falling asleep and I never have a hard time falling asleep after a Sunday when I teach, but I had a hard time falling asleep thinking, we already don't have enough room for everyone. <laughs> so anyway, people say that's a good problem, but um, we're, uh, it's great to be here again, our second Sunday. And I wanna add what Aaron said, if you're new, welcome. Um, if you're a visitor, welcome to this special time in Cornerstone's history. It's a milestone. If you're a part of our community and this is your first time here, uh, you're welcome to take a walk around. Last week, the downstairs was not open. It is today. Uh, last week, the building was 95% finished. Today, it's 96% finished. <laughs> and so we're still working on the balcony and the chairs that we need to make all that work correct. They're still on their way. But uh, you're welcome to wander around. If you make your way into a room that's just full of stuff, that's probably a sign that you shouldn't go in there yet, all right? But you can just peek in, and uh, we still have electrical work and paint stuff all around. And so, um, anyway, help, help make yourself at home and uh, see all the neat space. Downstairs is amazing. It's a cool spot for our kids and students. All right, um, I want to continue today in our series called Let Your Glory Fall. And uh, it's a phrase that occurs over and over again in the Bible, but we've presented it as a prayer that we want to be praying together as we move into this new season in our church's history. And so I'm inviting you to, to pray this prayer. And today I'm gonna take us to a passage in Isaiah and we're gonna look at Isaiah's experience when glory fell that was similar to the experience we looked at last week when God dedicated, or when Solomon dedicated the temple to God and God's glory fell. It's a similar moment, but it's different. And today I wanna spend a lot of time talking about what God's glory is. Now, it's one of those religious words that's kind of weird. Often it gets used to describe God, but people are like, well, I don't exactly know what that is. We use the phrase in different moments in our life when we see something amazing. We say it's glorious. I want to describe it because hopefully as we understand it better, we know what it is that we're asking for. And I'm inviting you for the weeks to, in the weeks to come to pray this prayer to ask for more of God's glory. When we're thinking about how do we wanna start things off in this new space? Uh, do we wanna, wanna share a new vision? Do we wanna share a new strategy? Do we want more of us? And the answer to all of those things is absolutely not right now. But what we do want is we do want more of God's glory. We want all that comes with him because that's the only thing that makes a community special, a building special, a space special. It's the only thing that brings healing and hope to a broken world. And so last week, we went to that story where the temple is dedicated. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it says this, the end of verse 13, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests, priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Something happened that has these guys that are working, they stop what they're doing because something fills that space, and it's called God's glory. Now, I want to distinguish again what's different between our moment and this moment that we just read about. We are not dedicating a home for God. This is just a building. God does not dwell in a temple. He dwells in the hearts and souls of people. So that means that you're sacred much more than this room or this building will ever be sacred. God dwells in the hearts of those that have said yes to Jesus. But good, God does love to fill space with his glory. And we'll see here in a moment that he wants to fill the earth with his glory and you have a part to play in that. And so as we spend time talking a lot about God's glory, I want you to just know what it is that we're asking for. And then I'm gonna spend a little bit of time just at the end talking about how we bring his glory into the world. And so if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, it's Isaiah chapter six, verse one. The verses will all be on the screen behind me as well. 
Let me point out another difference in this glorious moment that Isaiah has. The moment before was planned. It's carefully crafted. The temple was built. All the worshipers are there. Uh, often we can usher into a time in God's presence that's, that's planned and deliberate. We do that every Sunday here at Cornerstone. But often God's glory shows up unannounced, uninvited, and he interrupts our lives. And when it happens, it changes us. And it takes us a moment to catch our breath and to realize what's happening. But when you realize that it's God that's in the room and God's glory is beginning to do things, uh, people are changed. And this is what happens to Isaiah. So in verse one, it says this, in the year King Uzziah died. And the only reason that's important to say is just to make that same point. This happens in the midst of life, in surprising moments. Okay, it's not, glory's not just something that we wait for someday in heaven. It's something that happens in history in real time. So if you have this idea that you have to go to church to experience glorious moments, it's not true. God can interrupt you on a walk, in a quiet moment at your house, watching your kids do something amazing, dinner with your family. God can interrupt in any moment and his glory can fall. It goes on. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which is a name for angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so there's that important word. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So it's really similar, in a sense, to that last scene. The temple was filled with smoke when Solomon dedicates the temple. But this is a bit different. Again, there's worship, but there's angels here in this moment. But again, God's glory fills that space. And so I think when you get to a story like this that's just so spectacular... The best way to picture it is to actually close your eyes. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to read this scene again. And I want you to picture it in your mind. You know, the Lord gives us an imagination and it helps us. It's not imaginary, but he helps us imagine things. So I want you to picture this in your mind. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they were covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So as you picture that, you just have this moment wonder what it might have been like for Isaiah to have this incredible experience. Now think of it this way. Isaiah and the Lord are surrounded by a number of different things. Isaiah is surrounded by the robe of God. He's surrounded by these angels. He's surrounded by the smoke. He's surrounded by the noise, the praises. He's surrounded by these angels. And all of these things surround God. And so this is a room that is very, very full. It is dense. The intensity of the moment can only be described with this special word that we're given in the Bible called glory. So not only are the angels saying, the whole earth is full of your glory, which is interesting because they're in a particular place having this moment and the angels are saying, this is not big enough to hold God. God is everywhere. His glory is everywhere. But if Isaiah were to use a word to describe this spectacular moment, I think it would be that word glory, that very, very important word. Now let me tell you about the word glory. 
Often it gets used to describe God, but no one really knows what it means. But you have a sense, all right? You have, you have a sense. It's a word that's often used to describe amazing things. The Hebrew word for glory that shows up here and in other places throughout the Old Testament, and it's what the New Testament writers certainly meant, even though it wasn't recorded in Hebrew, is the Hebrew word kavod. And kavod has many different layers of meaning, okay? Uh, literally, kavod means weight or heaviness. And so there are a couple stories in the Bible where someone who was really, really heavy is said that they were kavod of kavod. They were heavy of heavy, Weight upon weight. This one guy weighed 450 pounds. He's described in the Bible. Wasn't it nice that your weight gets shared for all eternity to read about and your name? He's like, good grief. But kavod literally means weight and heaviness. So it's used that way. But it's not being used that way in the story that we're reading or when the temple is dedicated in the story we read last week. More often than not, kavod is used in non-literal ways. The heaviness of someone's presence, the weight of a moment. Uh, many of you have dealt with intense grief, and you will say things like, it's just so heavy, right? And so what you're doing is you're using this idea of glory, kavod, to describe intensity and volume and density and quality, Glory is much more about the quality and quantity of something than it is a particular characteristic that we can use to describe anyone. And I'm going to get to all of that in a moment. All right? So knowing that, that glory can be used in these literal and non-literal ways, I want to show you a few places the word is used in your Bible. And uh, this will confuse you for a moment, but then I'm going to bring us back to, to its real meaning. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is a story of the birth of Jesus. It says this in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Who's he appearing to? The shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks at night. And it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So the question is, is glory light? Is it intensity, or is it the intensity of God's light? In Psalm 24, it says, who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So Jesus is the king of this certain type of thing. In Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The skies are not glorious. They do something to point towards something that is glorious. They declare the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 10 verse 31, uh, Paul says this, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So glory has something to do with the honor and the renown and the fame of someone, in this case, of God. And then you get to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So glory has something to do with a purpose and a standard in which God has placed into the world. These are all different uses of the word glory. Now again, remember, God uses it to describe things of intensity, quality, density, uh, brilliance. You could use so many of these different words. A weighty decision, a weighty moment, a weighty moment in God's presence, all of these things. So um, let me keep going on this idea that you use this idea of kavod as you describe things in your life. Okay, So we all experience glorious moments, and not all of them are good. How many of you remember the first six weeks of lockdowns in March and April of 2020? I think we all do, right? Funny question. Who remembers? We all do. How could you forget? Wasn't it intense? 
Like the uncertainty was so intense. The fear was intense. The, the indecision and the, you know, wondering was intense about what to do when you see someone on the trail. I mean, back behind my house, there were people that were panicking when the Carluccis would walk by and they literally would go down towards the ditch and they would slide down the, the, the wet grass and I'd say, do you want help? And they'd say, don't touch us. <laughs> it was so weird. I mean, people veering off the path on their bikes, crashing, it was just, it was chaos. But it was, it was kavod. It was glorious in a not good way. Just thinking of a few glorious moments like this in the last few years and just in our family. Back in December, we put our dog down and we were all there, all six of us. And the intensity, the weight was awful. The Sunday after and the weeks after the Marshall Fire, they were glorious, gloriously sad and tragic. And to hear the stories and it was full of glorious like work on other people's behalf. We, it, there was intensity. There was weight to all of it. So when we hold memorial services for children especially, that is glorious. It is weighty. It is heavy. It is hard. But then there's beautiful moments of glory that the Lord lets us experience. And again, I'm just trying to paint this picture of what God's glory is like with the moments we experience in life. One of the Carlucci's favorite movies is a movie called Glory. Anyone know it? It's amazing. It's about uh, the 54th Massachusetts uh, Brigade, which was an all-black unit in World War, or not World War II, in the Civil War. And it was led by Colonel Robert Shaw. And um, he was a, a young, privileged man from Boston, and he chose this task and if you've seen the movie, The Way It Ends, and, it, you know, I'm going to ruin it a little bit for you, but um, they make an incredible sacrifice. And they inspire incredible courage. And when you see something like that, you're like, there's not a lot of words to describe that, but that is glorious. I had a glorious moment this year with my son. Isn't being a parent full of glorious moments? Like, you're afraid for your kids. You're worried for your kids. It's heavy. It's glorious. But then there are times like when, when something great happens, and it's not just fun. It's not like just anyone won. Your kids won. And it's glorious. So this year, I had this special moment. I haven't told you guys about it. But back in February, uh, my son Cole, my oldest son he, Cole, he wrestled for the state wrestling championship. And what's really neat about this particular year is I was surprised with the format. So for 30 years at the state wrestling tournament, it's always the same format. All of the kids get packed into one tunnel. There's no introductions. And when it's time for their match, they just walk out of this like chaotic, chaotic tunnel with about, you know, 100 people are in there and they go out and wrestle. Well, this year they made it different. They said, we're not going to pack the tunnels. In fact, what we're only going to do is we're only going to let the, the four wrestlers who are coming up next and one coach be in the tunnel together. And we're going to wait. And before the match, they turn the lights down in Ball Arena and the strobes start going off and the music is playing. I mean, it is glorious. <laughs> Gloriously intense and fantastic. It's amazing. And uh, so this whole thing is new to all of us. And I asked Cole, I said, hey, do you want me to wait for you on the mat or do you want me to wait with you in the tunnel? I said, dad, I want you to wait with me in the tunnel. And again, I'd never experienced this as coaching other people. And even when I was in that moment, it was different. So the whole thing is new. 
And so we're in the tunnel, and I'm looking around, and it's just me and my son, and the kid that he's going to wrestle, and his dad, who's his coach, who I knew from high school. (laughs) And then there's a few guys behind us, the boys that are going to wrestle next. And it's just quiet and peaceful, and you are just waiting for the storm. And uh, I am so glad that God said, hey, take it in. So earlier that year, Cole had a horrible injury, and we didn't think it was going to happen. So I was just grateful, gloriously grateful. The weight of the gratitude was, was overwhelming. I, I, I was so glad to be there with my son. We didn't think it was going to happen. Why do I keep crying up here? <laughs> Drink some more of my no-cry juice I brought last week. And I was so proud of him. Like, this, he had 12 years of work for this moment. And the whole time we're trying to stay focused because the goal is to win. But I'm just taking in the moment. And then uh, at one point, Cole turns around and he puts down his gear and he just gives me a hug. And he said, Dad, I love you. And I'm glad we're here together. And, I, you know, glory. It was heavy. It was amazing. And then things got better because Cole went out and kicked the guy's butt. <laughs> and here's our picture afterwards. Yeah. But that moment in the tunnel, all of the gratitude, all of the intensity, all the competitiveness, all the years of work, all the relief, all the worry, it was all there. It was glorious. Okay? Are you getting a picture of what glory is? Quality, intensity, the quantity, it's overwhelming. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, every one of the parents in this room could probably say, let me tell you about a glorious moment in our family. You have them. They're special. All right, so let's take that and apply that kind of idea, that concept to God. We wouldn't just say God is glorious. It would be more accurate to say God is gloriously loving The weight of his love is different. The commitment of his love is different. God is gloriously loving. God is gloriously generous. He owns everything. He loves to share what he has with us. God is gloriously faithful. God is gloriously patient. God is gloriously courageous. When Jesus faced the cross and then the grave, it was glory of courage. When the Prince of Peace shares his peace, I mean, it's the glory of peace that gets shared with you. It's a different level of peace, different sturdiness, uh, re- uh, resilience of peace. When God is angry, God is gloriously angry. He has a different level of justice. It's a glorious level of justice. The gospel is glorious good news. It's better than all other news, right? It's the only news that lifts anyone out of any hole that they're in. It's the only good news that takes you and brings you through every grave. God's purposes are glorious. God's words are gloriously true. And then you think of Jesus. It says this in Colossians chapter 1. 
The sun is the image of the invisible God. We'll see here in a moment, a moment that glory also means an image or a reputation. Jesus is all of God's glory funneled into a body. He is gloriously loving, gloriously faithful, gloriously patient, gloriously courageous, peace, all the things. Jesus is a glorious friend. He's not just a good friend. The kind of friend he is is different. It needs a different word. He is a glorious friend. He is a glorious savior. He is a glorious king. He's exalted high above all other things. The Holy Spirit is a glorious healer. He's a glorious counselor. He's gloriously powerful. And I could go on and on. So if you ever wonder what the glory of God is like, Imagine back to those moments of great intensity in your life where it was overwhelming in a good or a bad way and say, that's what God is like. It's a way to describe the level of his attributes and his qualities. It's not just a quality in itself. I mean, we could go on for, for days talking about all the different ways God is glorious. He's gloriously beautiful. It's the infinite qualities of God that takes our breath away. If you've ever had a moment in God's presence, we often use presence as a synonym for glory, which is okay, you were probably overwhelmed with something, a sense of love or friendship or his fatherhood or his care or his conviction. Isaiah's gonna be convicted here in a moment. All of these things come. So let's keep going and building on the idea of kavod. So it's this intensity of all these things, but it's not just that. Uh, an image can actually show someone's glory or their kavod. And a reputation works the same way. And um, in Prague, there is a place in the center of the city. So many, six years ago now, we had our sabbatical in Prague. We spent a month there. It was amazing. And almost every day, we would go to the town center. And there in the town center, there is this amazing statue. You can see it behind me. Anyone see, have been to Prague and seen this statue? Okay. I mean, it is the center of the city. It's the, um, and this particular figure is the center of all Prague history. His name is Jan Hus. And Jan Hus was a Catholic priest who believed some crazy ideas right before the Reformation, ideas like everyone should be able to take communion together and the scriptures should be taught in the language that people understood, not just in Latin. What a rebel, right? Well, uh, the Pope at the time did not appreciate his reforms. And so there was a couple things in history called the Husanite Wars, maybe you've heard about. Well, papal armies marched to Prague and they tried to stop this, these rebels and stop Jan Hus, but two times they won great battles. And so the statue is dedicated to, the, to Jan Hus and his reforms, to winning these battles, all of these things. When you look at the statue, you're literally looking at the kavod of Jan Hus, the way the word is used. It is an image of him, okay? Whether it's glorious or not, it is his glory, it is his image, now that city is also filled with another way we use the word, and that is their renown or their fame. You read any book, travel book, about the city of Prague, you're going to run into the name Jan Hus over and over again. Jan Hus's chapel, Jan Hus's well, Jan Hus's statue, where the battle took place, beautiful artwork, 
uh, paints it about Jan Hus. It's everywhere. His renown is filling, has filled the city of Prague. And you can't be there without experiencing his kavod, both in the image that's there in the center of the city, but also in his reputation. When the scriptures talk about the glory of God, it also talks about the image of God placed into the world. Certainly Jesus is the the essence of all of that, but there are other images. But it also talks about the renown of God. So to say to glorify God means that you make him famous throughout the world. That you you are, 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 that Jesus gets a good reputation. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus had a good reputation again in our country? It would be amazing. But that is the glory. So Isaiah is experiencing all of these things. The angels are saying, let the glory fill the earth. Isaiah would describe the moment as glorious because of its intensity and its volume. And I want you to see how people respond when they experience glory, okay? It's also a glorious moment because the intensity is high. Verse five, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So people respond differently to God's glory, but this is a very healthy response, which is humble conviction. Our story last week, that the priests just stop working when they experience God's kavod. They can't do anything. Other times people fall to their knees and they worship. The angels in this story are worshiping, they're praising. But for Isaiah in this moment, it's humble conviction. This is often what happens when we experience God's glory. But here's what's so neat about Isaiah, is what happens to him happens to us all the time. Isaiah gets to experience good news in the moment. He's ready for judgment and rejection, and what does he get? He gets love and forgiveness. He gets grace. He gets good news. He gets a new start. He gets all the things people get today through the gospel because of Jesus. But here's what I want you to notice. Verse eight said this, then I heard a voice saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And then here's Isaiah's response. I said, here I am. That's another neat word in Hebrew. It's hineni, which means I'm ready. I'm present. Send me. We have a kid in the blue room. It's a dirty diaper. Reinforcements. Bring them in. All right, you ready? Yeah. This passage has been used by pastors like me for years about just like the sending out, we're on a mission, all that stuff, it's true. But I want you to see what Isaiah is saying, what he's doing is he's worshiping right now. I am here, I am present, send me. Now worship shows up in a number of different ways. We just did it. I mean, isn't it it amazing having the band we have here? I mean, isn't it amazing that we get to play Aaron's original music at our church? It's awesome. This room sounds amazing. Like we work really, really hard to create a place where this, there's an environment of praise where we can actually experience God. Uh, one of the things Aaron often says is God inhabits the praises of his people, which means his presence, his kavod, is here when we worship. I love what him and Dan say when they lead worship. Dan always says, a moment in God's presence can change your life forever. It's absolutely true. Aaron's literally always chasing a moment. 
Like he's looking for one while he's doing his job because he knows what we need is more of God's kavod. I love that they do that. That space is created here. That's worship. But there's another level of worship that makes that type of worship more special. And it's the type of worship that only comes with a person that says the things like Isaiah says here. Stands up and says, I'm here, I'm ready, send me. Here's what Isaiah is doing that's special. Before he even knows his task, he says to God, you're in charge. My life belongs to you. I'm yours. Everything I have belongs to you. He couldn't say that without feeling that way. Isaiah is actually worshiping the way that we are meant to worship. If you study religion, every faith will define what proper worship is to their God or to their God. So, for example, in Islam, proper worship is to pray in the right direction several times a day and then take the trip to Mecca. That's proper worship. And there are different things in every faith. But did you know what the kind of worship that God asked for is actually all-encompassing? It's, it's more difficult than just praying six times a day. Paul described it in Romans. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship to offer your lives as a living sacrifice. This is what Isaiah is doing in the moment. He's saying, all I have is yours. And he is worshiping as a response to God's glory, his presence that's all there in the room. I mean, and it's amazing. And then God does something special. He sends him out into the world to fill the world with God's glory. An amazing picture of worship. Now I'm asking you in a moment, do you worship that way? Do you live that way? Is your life, every part of your life, a response to him? Christianity can get really confusing when you're half in. But it actually gets very, very clear and more purposeful, full of joy and power when you say, I'm all in. When you offer your life as a living sacrifice. When you stand up and you say, I don't know where you're going to send me, but send, send me anywhere because God, you're in charge. My life belongs to you. Isaiah is worshiping in response to God's glorious presence. And I don't know what it is for Isaiah. I don't know if it's uh, God's glorious grace that forgave him. God's glorious healing that cleansed him. God's glorious power in the moment. I don't know what it is. It's got his attention. It's probably all of those things. So that's why you can't just use one word. You use words like glory to describe it. But Isaiah's life has changed. So when we ask the question, Lord, or we pray the prayer, Lord, let your glory fall, we are asking for all of that in our moments, in our lives. But I'll tell you what, it's a dangerous question to ask God for more of his glory if you are not ready to give yourself to him. Because he is the glorious leader. He is the glorious king. He is other. He is different than us. He is gloriously holy. And he will say to us, will you respond to me? Who will go for us? Who will fill the earth with my image? Now as I close, I want to bring the worship team up. I want to make one connection to your life with God's glory. Do you know that God has shared his glory with you? It goes back to the first story in the Bible in Genesis chapter one. It says we have been made in his image and in his likeness. Okay, what does that mean? 
You don't look like him. You know what the image and likeness is? It's his glory placed in you. We love saying this. The truest thing about you is you're an image bearer. You know what that means? It means God's glory is in you. Here's the sad part of the story. We all make choices that tarnish the image. But Jesus, the perfect image of the glory of God, comes to heal that image, restore that image, forgive that offense. The Holy Spirit comes to shine up that image once again. I mean, it's a funny thing to say that you are meant to be gloriously loving, gloriously kind. You are meant to be gloriously joyful, gloriously um, peaceful, gloriously powerful. You are meant to be those things. God has shared his glory with you, and he's so committed to it that he came back to rescue that glory that has been tarnished, and now he empowers it with the Spirit. It's amazing. In John chapter 17, it's a chapter that we often read because Jesus is praying for the unity of the church, but the, the chapter really is about glory. It says this in verse three. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is praying this. I have brought you glory, he says to the Father, on earth by finishing the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with glory that I have before you in the, as before the world began. So they're talking about God glorifies Jesus, Jesus glorifies God. But then you get to verse 22, and look what Jesus says. This little detail we pass over. I have given them, the them is you, and all of those that come, have come before us and after us, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as I am one. And then the conversation continues and Jesus says, I am sending you out. Do you see how much purpose the idea of glory can bring our lives? He has shared it with you. Glorious love. Glorious truth. Glorious patience. So how does the earth get filled with his glory but his image bearers? Living out the glorious qualities. Building the glorious reputation. Building the glorious renown wherever they go. Why all the talk about glory? Because that's the only reason we exist. The only reason we built a building is to have more room for more people to experience more of his glory. For more people's tarnished images to be shined up so that more glory leaves this room and fills your classrooms and your offices and your homes. That's what the world needs. That's how God's glory falls. And so I want to invite you to bow your head and I want to just ask you a few questions as we close. You know, I wonder if there's one person today who will glorify him. I wonder if there's one person that's seen his glorious truth change their life or they've experienced his glorious loving presence care for them or if they've experienced his glorious wisdom guide them or if they've experienced his glorious courage as they've been afraid. I wonder if there's one person that say, I will glorify him by saying, I'm ready. Wherever you would send me, God, whatever you have me to do, I will respond to you as a living sacrifice. 
I wonder if there's more than one person or a group or I wonder if we have a church that has experienced the glory of God so much that their life has changed and everyone says here I am send me Father, I pray it would be true of our church. Our commitment is not to a project. It's not even to earthly vision, Father. It is to you, to your renown. Thank you for the image of God, the glory of God I see in all of my friends today. I thank you for the glorious strength that you've placed in them. Father, I thank you for those that have said, Lord, send me. Fill the earth with your glory through them. Fill this church with your glory through them. Fill the generations with your glory through them. And so, Lord, we pray, let your glory fall. Let your glory fall. Move in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.